All this fire theme stuff that's kind of going on. Talking about fire and starting fires and, and, and all. I really am not a pyromaniac, but um, I do like starting fires. In fact, uh, I think um, one of the things that I really in, enjoyed about uh, my elementary years was uh, when, when I was in sixth grade, I don't know who it was, my, my teacher, the principal or what, but I was selected to be a fire marshal. And, uh, in fact, I've still got my credentials. In fact, uh, can we show those credentials? This is back in 1980 when I was in the sixth grade. Only a mother would keep this. But uh, I, I f- somehow found it along the way and somehow dug it up for this kind of thing. But here it is. I was trained as a school fire marshal. And you can even see my little penmanship in there at Northside Elementary School in Rogers. It's official. All right? So whenever, whenever I'm coming to the table to talk about fires, I am coming from experience and training. I can stop, drop, and roll with the best of them. All right? So you, you, we're not just talking about any simple uh, simpleton up here talking about fire. But, you know, when it comes to fire and, and, uh, and starting flames, the Bible talks a lot about it. I even talked about last week the Holy Spirit being compared uh, to fire as one of His uh, metaphors to, to use to speak of Him and how He comes and lives inside of us, and that is our fire. I talked about that last week. Also, the, the Bible talks about God giving us gifts in, from the Holy Spirit, and at the same time, He, again, uses that same metaphor of fire and that God's gifts inside of us as being a fire that needs to be fanned and, and, and encouraged and stoked and brought in. In fact, here's the verse in... Uh, in 2 Timothy, again, Paul's kind of the, the protege to Timothy, young Timothy, but in 2 Timothy 1, uh, 6, it says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. God has given all of us a gift. He's given us many gifts, talents, and He's given us personalities. He's given us all this stuff packaged up in the package called you. Now, in that package called you, put your name in the blank there, there is talents, there's gifts, there's abilities, there's all this stuff packaged up in there. And Paul told young Timothy, he says, listen, what you do when you go out of this world, fan that flame, stoke that fire, make sure that you're using the gift that God has given you because the fire that is inside of you can spread and ignite in other people. And that's what this whole study is about and this whole idea of using this, this metaphor. But fire needs attention. Fire needs uh, that, 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 that right oxygen, that, 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 that right kindling, that right uh, chemistry to come together to make it really glow and to make it really happen. But when we do, you know, we, we, again, in the whole school fire marshal kind of setup, they do teach you to stop, drop, and roll to put out the fire. But we have said in this series that stop, drop, and roll actually will fan the fire. And fan the fire that hopefully will ignite into other people. Last week we talked about the first. The first word is to stop. We need to stop certain things in our life if we're going to see the fire fan, uh, the flame fanned inside of us. We need to stop seeing the crowd and start seeing the person. It's one of the things we talked about last week if you weren't with us. But stop just looking at all these people out here and stop just saying that all these people are going to be taken care of by somebody else and start saying individual people. Individual life stories. Individual ways that maybe you can help ignite a fire inside of somebody. Inside of the children, inside of the youth, inside of, inside of one another. Inside of the person who's sitting right in front of you who you don't know their name. 
But you can help fan a flame inside them. Stop looking at the crowd and start looking at the individual person. Stop holding back for yourself and start giving of yourself to others. Learning how that, hey, I've got these talents, I've got this, this flame inside of me that I need to fan, and I've got this gift inside of me that I need to fan. How can I take the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the passions and the, and, and the life stories? and the, How can I take that and use that for God and for His glory? How can I set again a fire in, inside of somebody else? And the next thing we talked talk about stopping was stop stalling and start starting. Oh, so many times we just like hear a good message, think about a good thought. I need to do that. I need to do something. Well, let's just start taking out the match and let's start striking it. Don't delay any longer. Make a difference in somebody's life, both now and for, for eternity. So we talked about last week, stop. This week we'll talk about drop. We need to drop those things in our life that are keeping us, that are holding us back, that's, that's blowing out our fire instead of igniting our fire. Because too much oxygen will put a fire out. Just the right oxygen will, it will actually grow that fire and make that fire become even stronger. So what, do I, what is it in my life that I need to drop to the side out of my life that's holding me back from really setting people's lives on fire? Because this is what, this is what happens. As many times again in our life, we will, we will get excited about the Lord and we'll get excited about the opportunity to, to invest in somebody else. And then all of a sudden... Along the way, we kind of get tired of this whole thing. Maybe we, get, we, we lose focus. Maybe we lose our passion. And we'll quit igniting. And we'll, but we'll keep our flame. We'll keep our little stick out there. We'll keep our bodies here. We'll keep doing our work. We'll keep going about it. And we'll just keep applying ourselves, but never do we ignite anybody else. If the fire goes out here, it will not go there or there. And so I must learn in my life, what is it that is holding me back, keeping my wood wet, blowing out my flame, and I need to drop it out of my life. I need to put it out of my life because it is no longer enabling me to be on fire and to start fires in other people's lives. Are, are we tracking together here? Because there are things that will hold you back. There are things that will put your fire out. There are things that will hinder that. Take your Bibles be finding the last book in the Bible. All right? It's not the book of concordance or maps, okay? It's the book of Revelation. Find the book of Revelation. Very interpretive book. Many different interpretations to this book. It's an intense book. Are there more interpretations than, than there? I don't know. There's more interpretations. In the, we have even beginning enough time to give you even the summary of all the different interpretations of the book of Revelation. And some of them, all, I, I believe, they are more warranted than others, and some of them are overrated than others. And it seems like every time there's a, everybody, everybody comes out with their own different charts and their own different maps and their own different projections and their own different interpretations. It's, it's just so complicated. I preached the book of Revelation in my last church, and it took me an entire year to go through the book. We did it on a Sunday night, and, we, and I'll never do that again. I'll promise you that. I'll never, ever do that again. I may, I'm sure I'll preach the book of Revelation someday, but I will not do it in such intensity because a lot of it is so interpretive. A lot of it is, lends itself to a lot of subjective interpretation uh, uh, in the text because so much of it is future events. And so you hear these people who will try to make everything out of something. And I've got pamphlets that I've saved up for a year. The barcode, you know, that we use all the time, that barcode. I have a pamphlet in a file of, at home that says that that is the mark of the beast. 
and that you should not buy things with a barcode. I mean, and i got this whole pamphlet telling me all about it, citing these Scripture verses, because so many people have tried to create so many things out of so much stuff that it really means nothing. So we're not going to go there today in the book of Revelation. But in chapter 2, it does talk about a very important thing about God's plan. Okay? Because we're trying to get on God's plan and trying to be the fire that He has created inside of us. But God has always had a plan about why he, how He wanted to accomplish His work. He has started with the patriarchs back way back in the Old Testament. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know those names. Heard them from Sunday school. These are the guys, the patriarchs, that kind of helped get it going. Moses, Joshua, the guy who took, us into the, took the people of Israel into the, into the promised land. These were the patriarchs that kind of led the way, that kind of was God's first real big instrument to use in carrying out His kingdom's work. After the patriarchs came the judges. You can read through the book of Judges and you can read about Deborah and you can read about Gideon and and some of the great judges of the Old Testament that really helped the nation of Israel and ultimately the entire world who who studies the Scriptures really know how God wants them to live. And it really dealt with them and sometimes in some severe ways. God used used judges. He used kings. you You saw Saul and you see David and Solomon. and Those were the kings. God used the kings and the judges and He God used the patriarchs throughout different times and different seasons. But then you come on forward in the Old Testament and you come to the prophets. The prophets were the ones that God used many times for a long time. you got Ezekiel and Jeremiah and, and Isaiah. you got lots of different Old Testament prophets, ma- major prophets and minor prophets. God used different people at different times and different seasons. When Jesus came to this earth, He initiated... If you believe in, the, in, the, in a more of a dispensational theology, he instigated a, a movement, a work. The next phase of his work would be through what is called the church today. And you find him introducing the word church for the very first time to his, his disciples. You find in, then in the book of Acts, the entire book of Acts is dealing with the whole development, the birth and development of the church. So you again see God using different things in different times. Now, if you take the, the, the book of Revelation and read it, read it as a futuristic book, which many people do, you'll find that the church plays a major part in God's grand scheme of things until the very end. In fact, it's the church from the, the time of Christ to the time of His return that's going to be the church age. It's going to be the church of God. It's going to be the body of Christ that God is, is going to be God's major instrument to use. Now, I have to give you all that history just to elevate today a little bit in our minds the importance of the church. Not, not this building, the brick and the mortar of this building, but you, the people of this building. You help make up Grace Point Church. There are other churches in this town that make up that church, make up those people. And it's, it's going to be through those people that God will continue to carry out His work until the end of time, if you again understand the Bible and read the Scriptures, as many people do today. But, okay, what's the importance of this? Because many people today are down on the church. And for some very good reasons. You, everything you hear, read on the news right now or see on the news right now is about the, uh, about the Pope being in the country and how he is constantly apologizing for the sex abuse scandals and so forth. Well, you know what? Very legitimate. And it's given a very black eye to the church. Many people look at the church today as being irrelevant. It's, uh, it's absolutely it's speaking a language. It's singing a song. It's whatever it's doing. It's, 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 it, I, we don't even know what it's talking about out there. We don't want to be a church like that. 
Because then we make ourselves irrelevant to a very relevant message. All right, there's a lot of introduction just to say this. What kind of church is this church going to be? Is it going to be a church that God will use to the very end? If you take your Bibles and you look at Revelation, he mentions seven different churches in this book. He mentions seven different churches, each individual church by its name. Now, these are the churches that he mentions, and we won't go into all of them. In fact, we're just going to focus on the church of Ephesus. In modern-day Turkey is where this would be. And as we look at it and we think about the church of Ephesus, what was it like? The church of Ephesus got a lot of play in the Old or in the Bible. It got a lot of play in the Bible because it was mentioned multiple times in the Bible. It was one of the major churches in the Bible. It received a lot of, a lot of uh, spiritual focus in the Bible. It says, let me just give you a, a, a little bit of the history, a little bit of the, 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 the good about the church of Ephesus because you've got to understand it. But let's look at our Bibles and let's look at verse 2, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1. And I want to just read verse 1 to just kind of give you the, the, the framework. It says, to the angel of the church... In Ephesus. Okay? Now, when you come to the Revelation, there's a whole lot of imagery used in here. But in the imagery, for the sake of time, I've got to just quickly give it to you, and you can ask me questions about it later. The angel represents Jesus. The angel was a messenger, and Jesus was that messenger. Okay? He had the angel of the church of Ephesus right. Okay? There's a, there's a message that this angel has to the church of Ephesus. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The stars represent the messengers within the church, the, the teachers or the pastors within the church. So Jesus here is, has a message, and he also has in his hands these stars, these, these leaders of these churches. And he says, among them seven golden lampstands. Now the lampstands represent the churches, which you fits right in with our imagery here, that we are lampstands in this community. We are to be lights in this community. And what kind of light are we? As you think about this church of Ephesus, I want to, again, just give you the greatness of this church. This church was amazing. This was the church that if it was in northwest Arkansas in the 21st century, you'd go there. You'd have to go there. It'd be on your top three churches that you're going to go and visit to see if you want to be a part of that kind of church. This church was amazing. Let me just tell you quickly about it. It had some great things going for it. It was a very Christocentric church. Christ was at the very center of it. Now, how do we know that? It was because there's an angel identified with this. Jesus is identifying with this church. It's very much a very much a church in which Jesus Christ would identify. There was no ambiguity about that. This city was rampant with immorality, but there was no doubt that the church of Ephesus was a church for Jesus Christ. And it stood for Jesus Christ, and everybody knew it was about Jesus Christ. This church was also a, a Word of God church. Notice here that it says that the Ephesus, he writes to the church at Ephesus. He had a message to the church at Ephesus. So the message to the church of Ephesus came from Jesus. Jesus is identifying with this church. This church also was very amazing because it had all the great teachers influence this church. Apollos influenced this church. Priscilla and Aquila influenced this church. Paul influenced this church. Paul spent two years at this church, no, excuse me, three years at Ephesus alone. Paul then left Timothy in charge at the church of Ephesus. So they had Apollos, they had Priscilla and Aquila, they had Paul, they had Timothy. They had some of the greatest teaching on the earth at that time. And then now you even have the Apostle John writing to the church at Ephesus, pinning out this letter on the Isle of Patmos. 
So now you have all of this great influence. It would be equal to this. If you had a lineup at Grace Point Church of every Sunday, uh, an option of maybe Billy Graham's going to show up, or maybe Franklin Graham, or maybe Andy Stanley, or maybe John Wesley, or maybe Charles Stanley, or maybe some of the greatest orators today would be here every Sunday. They'd just be coming in here, bringing the Word of God, bringing the Word of God, bringing... That's how awesome this church was. Christ was at the center of this church. The Word of God was heard in this church. The Spirit of God filled this church because it says that He walked among the lampstands. Now, what's that referring to? That means that actually when you went to that church, and you tell me if I'm wrong, you've gone to churches before, and you walk in there and think, what are they doing here? And you go to other churches and you think, man, there's something different about this place. I can feel it. I can sense it. I can hear it. I can't put my finger completely on it, but there is something different about this place. That's exactly what you would have experienced at Ephesus. Because God was moving in and out, just like through His lampstands. He was moving in and out through this church. This church was Christ, and this church had the Word of God. This church had so much going for it. The Holy Spirit was filling this church. Awesome church, the church to go to. Let me quickly give you a few more things about this church. This church was also uh, a serving church. Because he says in verse 2, he says, I know your deeds. This church was a serving church. I know your deeds. The deeds speak of the things that we do. They were also a sacrificing church. He says, I also know your toil. The word here is kabas in, in, in the Greek, and it means to labor until you're tired. These people were hardworking people. They had great deeds. They had great toil. They had great sacrifice. They were a serving church. They were a sacrificing church. They were a steadfast church. It goes on to say that they even persevered. In verse 2 it says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. This was a steadfast church. This was a separated church. Also, if you go on, it says, and you cannot tolerate evil men. And then he goes on to say, he says, and, and you put the test those who call themselves apostles and they do not uh, and are not, and you found them to be false. I mean, this pers- this church would not put up with false doctrine, false teaching. They were steadfast. They were sacrificing. They were spirit filled. They were Christ centered. This is the kind of church that everybody wanted to go to. There's no absolutely doubt that Jesus Christ was the head of this church. Awesome church. Keep hanging with me here. They were also a suffering church. Verse 3 talks about it. It says, And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Again, a church that we would all love to be a part of. But it's the next verse that, that pinches us. Because he gives us this compliment but in, then right after that, in verse 4, there's this singular problem in the multitude of promises of this church. This one problem. i got one thing against you. Church at Ephesus, look at verse 4. But I have this against you, that you've left your first love. He gives them a commendation here. I I just want you to just rest with me for just a moment and let those thoughts that we just emphasized roll over you. Steadfast church. Sacrificing church. Spirit-filled church. The Word of God church. Christ was the center of the church. Everything going for this church. The The best teachers. For 40 years this church is going strong when this letter is being written. 
in this, in this multitude of, of, of promises and possibilities, He says, I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. You, you, you no longer love me like you once did. And, and, I, and the thing is, 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 is there's nothing tangible that I, I can put in front of you today. See, here's how we know they've lost their first love. Because we can't. They were still persevering. They were still doing works. They were still doing all these things. They were still sacrificing. They were still doing, doing, doing so many great things. But still, the, the Spirit of God could look through all of that and say, you have lost your passion for me. You're just doing you're just about busyness. This church was so busy and so doing. But when you looked at the individual hearts of the people, they no longer had a passion for Christ. When you lose your first love, ministry loses its luster. When you, when you lose your first love, ministry becomes a duty rather than a delight. When you lose your first love, doing becomes more important than being. Doing, doing, doing. Look what I do. Look what I've done. Look what I've stood up for. Look at the cause I'm fighting for. Look at the, look, the class I'm teaching. Look at the work that I'm doing. Look at the time that I'm spending. Look at the money that I'm giving. Look, 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 look. Do, do, do. But it doesn't reflect where your passion is. Just because you suffer, just because you serve, just because you sacrifice, just because you're steadfast, just because you're spirit-filled, just because Christ is the sinner, just because of all these things going on in this awesome church doesn't mean that the love and the passion for Christ is still there. I have to be very honest with you today. There have been times that I've stood on this stage there have been days, there have been weeks, there have been months. There have been times that I've stood on this stage, and I'll be very honest with you, I did not want to be here. And I was talking to somebody just last night in a retail store, and he says, you've been in the ministry a long time, haven't you? And I said, yeah, about 20 years. And, and I told him, at point blank, I said, I, I wouldn't step down to be the president uh, from, being, from being a pastor. But I'll tell you right now, I, I can identify with this. I've got my theology, I think, pretty well lined up in a conservative fashion. I think I'm pretty steadfast. I, I'm willing to undergo some persecution. In fact, I think we need to undergo a little bit of persecution to kind of trim away the fat. I, I, I'm ready to sacrifice. I, I mean, Christ is the center of my life. I hope I'm spirit-filled. But I'll tell you right now, there are times that I don't want to be here. There are times that I don't want to be a pastor. There are times that I get tired. There are times that I want to quit. There are times that I'm burned out. And in fact, there was a time a few years back when I was starting the church and going strong and all that kind of stuff, and I'm thinking, oh, my land. Is, can I do anything else? Are there any other options out there? Because I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of talking. And the thing is, is, I can come up here on a Sunday morning, and I can put on the smile, and I can get out the text, and I can parse the verbs, and I can uh, decline the nouns, and, and we can talk about the text, and we can do all that kind of stuff. And I can be real pastoral, and I can shake your hand and say, have a good day, and have a good week, and all that kind of stuff. But I can still not have my first love hot and fired up with God. 
any one of, one of these times that I was ready to quit and give in and throw in the towel and all that kind of stuff, I heard Bill Hybels confess in his own ministry, a great ministry up in Chicago, he says it like this. He said, there was a time in his life when the work of God without was killing the work of God within. The work of God without was killing the work of God within. He was so busy doing good things, feeding the flock, taking care of things, doing good, giving out, that he wasn't being fed and disciplined on the inside. He wasn't keeping the passion, fanning the flame, keeping the fire alive in his own heart. The work of God without without was killing the work of God within. Here's a church that's an amazing church with an awesome resume and an awesome... But they lost their first love. And when you lose your first love, it's only a matter of time before you will be like this. A stick without a flame. A walking body going around doing your ministry, doing, 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 doing. But something has put your fire out and no longer are you igniting anybody. And many, nine times out of ten in my own life, personal testimony, nine times out of ten it has been when I've lost my first love. So what's his recommendation? He gives them a course of correction here. Very clearly in verse 5. He tells them to remember. He tells them to repent. And he tells them to renew. Right here he says it in verse 5. He says, therefore remember. Underscore that word. Therefore remember from where you have fallen. Repent. Underscore that word. And do the deeds you did at first. Tells them three things to do right there. He tells them, first of all, you need to remember where you left off. You need to remember where you left off. Where is it that you left off? He tells us, he says, remember, in verse 5, he says, remember from where you have fallen. You know what the thing to do is when I've lost my fire and I'm walking around like a stick here without a flame, the best thing I can do is stop life for just a moment. and Think about it. And remember the joy and the excitement, the thrill of following Christ. Remember back to those days whenever God used to, you'd pray and God would answer your prayers? You know when you'd come in here and you'd worship and man, you, you had no problem raising your hand or clapping and you, know, you just were just loving God. Remember in praise band when you were up here singing and the fire was alive in your heart and your voice and you just would let it all hang out. And you remember the day when you'd go into your class and you'd be there early and you'd stay late and you'd spend time with those kids and you'd see life change and now you get there late and you leave as soon as you can and you complain all the way. and Just like a stick without a fire. Lost maybe that first love. It, to think about it, think about it in terms of a dating relationship. What do you do when you go to a counselor and your marriage has just lost its spark, it's lost its fire? I'll guarantee you one of the counselors will tell you to do, they'll, they'll, they'll process the whole, maybe a couple sessions, charge you 150 bucks each time, and all at the end of the, the second session they'll say, now go date your wife. Men, men or women, go date your husband. Fall back in love again. Remember back to the nights when you couldn't sleep because you were thinking about your spouse. And remember back to the time whenever you were so much in love with them that you would, you would hang the moon for them or you would jump over the moon for them or you do whatever for them. Remember back to that time when you were on fire for them. 
date him again. Have you ever thought about dating Jesus again? Remember back to that time. What was it like then? You spent time with him and you didn't count the time. You gave and you didn't worry about what you were giving because you wanted to give more and hope that God would bless you with more. You'd pray and you wouldn't worry about uh, you know all, all your time commitments. You'd just pray. Remember. That's the very first thing. Remember what it was like when you were first a believer. You know what I really like? I really enjoy being around new believers rather than older believers. And I'm not kidding you. You get me around a new believer and they're excited. They're on the edge of their seat. They're like talking about what God's doing in their life and how God's changing their life. You get around an old believer and they'll tell you all their theology. All of their, all of their systematic beliefs. And you know what? It's like a stick. Go back to dating guys. See, some people marry to date and some people instead date, marry, uh, excuse me, some, most people date to marry instead of marry to date. Think about your relationship with God as a dating relationship. Have you lost that first love? Don't lose it. Stay fresh. Stay real. Stay passionate. Stay connected. Stay pliable. Stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. Stay in love with Jesus. If you remember, if you'll go back and remember what it was like when you were on fire, if you'll remember that, it'll make the next step a lot easier. The next thing he says, not only remember, but he also says to repent. Repent. It says it right there in, uh, in verse 5 again, Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent. These are the things that are holding us back. These are the things that we're carrying around. This is the personal agendas, the pride, the self-control, or the lack of self-control. The, the others, people, there's a hundred things that can get you off course. There's a hundred things that can take that fire inside of you and make you nothing but a stick again. What is it that's in your life that's holding you down that you need to drop? Stop, drop out of your life. We have grown in numbers and wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. Abraham Lincoln said that in 1863. Any number of people could say that in 2008. Repenting does for the soul what exfoliating does to the skin. What a good garage sale does to the attic. What a realignment can do to a set of tires on your car. What an apology can do to a relationship. That's what repenting does. When you repent, you're releasing all the dead, stored up junk that has weighed you down, and kept you out of a line, and enables you to burn again. To be on fire so that you can set others on fire again. We need to remember. We need to repent. And whenever we remember the great, awesome days of dating Christ and the awesome joy of following Him, when we remember that, guess what happens? Then it makes it come to repentance. Hey, listen, I don't want that baggage. I don't want that dead stuff in my life. I want it out of my life. And so you get it out of your life. And then the next thing He says, look at this. He says we need to renew. Renew your commitment to serve. He said in verse 5, He said, therefore remember where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. They were still busy over here doing stuff, but they were just doing busyness. He tells them to go back, remember, repent, and do the ministry you were doing. Do it again. 
Just like you were doing whenever, when you were first following me. It's a renewing that goes on in us. Now I want you to notice something about this message. This message has had very little to do about ministry and the ministry fair. Because going into this series of messages, I was thinking, you know what the greatest thing we need is not more messages on get up and do, do, do. But it's to focus on first who we are as individuals. How we are in following Christ. How, how are we really? Are, 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 are we busy about sacrificing and serving and being steadfast and doing, 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 but we have lost our first love? Because I'm convinced of this. That whenever our first love is in place, and I can, I'm convinced of it from personal experience more than anything else, when my first love is in place, what I'm doing here right now and what I do with you throughout the week, I love it. It gives me energy. I thrive in it. But when my heart is not hot and passionate love relationship with God, as an introvert, I don't want to see you. I don't want to be with you. And don't take that personal because it's not you. It's me. You see the difference? You didn't change. I changed. And the only change is, is that I've lost my passion for Christ. But once I have my passion with Christ again, then by George, I'm a flame ready to burn. I'm a flame that wants to affect other people. So what do you do whenever your flame is just a stick? You get next to the fire. When you get next to the fire, then you're able to start lighting other people again. You're able to start making a difference again and impacting lives. I have one question for you and then I'm going to pray. Here's the question. What kind of church would this church be if every member were just like me? What kind of church would this church be if every member were just like me? If every member prayed like me, gave like me, served like me, cared like me, loved like me, was faithful like me, what kind of church would this church be? I hope this is the kind of church that we can be. An ignited, fire, life-giving kind of church making a difference in people's lives. I hope that's who we are. But it's going to be one member at a time making sure they're on fire.